48 verses, 10 miracles, one prophet, a foreign enemy city, Nineveh, a northern tribe, or northern, 10 northern tribes of Israel that are very prosperous in this time, in this age, wealthy, at peace. They've extended their borders as far as they have been since David's rule to the north. Now, Assyria is as weak as it has been ever in its history. All of its competitors and those who were enemies were at an ebb, an all-time ebb and low. And the people of God were on the mountain. Physically. Perhaps no book in the Bible is debated as much as Jonah. I read, I don't know, 150 commentaries, 95 of them said, Jonah is a a Midrash Hebrew poem. Or they said, it is an allegory. Or they said, it is a parable. And I say, they've studied too much, prayed too little. Jonah is a prophet. Not to the northern tribes of Israel mainly, though he did prophesy to them and it's recorded to us in 2 Kings 14 verse 25. Before you go calling somebody a parable, you might ought to read the whole Old Testament. Jonah, the son of Amittai, spoke to Jeroboam the second during his reign as a king. And we know as a pattern of both Hebrew literature and the Lord Jesus when he used parables, there were several things that were not done. One, specific names and places are left out of the account. Rod and I were talking about that this morning. You'll hear, secondly, a classic introduction. Like, there was a vineyard owner. There was a man, on and on, not specific, very general. And so, that's why I say, redactionist critics, literary commentaries, have missed it. Why? Two reasons. Jonah's too supernatural of a book. For the human mind. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, spiritual things are discerned of the Spirit. The natural man cannot receive them. Not everybody that believes it's a parable is not saved. Don't misunderstand me. But they get their information from folks who are literary critics, not Bible scholars. 
whose aim when they study the Scripture is to tear it to shreds and prove it to be false and full of myths and storybook legends. And when a theologian gets a steady diet of that, whether he's saved or not, he gets polluted water. Polluted water leads to virus and sickness. And I believe that's what's happened all around the book of Jonah. Why? Because it's miraculous. Ten miracles in one man's life. You do realize that in the Hebrew people's national history, there are only hundreds of miracles. And we're talking about one prophet that had ten in a short period of time. You heard it while I was reading. And the Lord hurled a storm. Does away with this whole God passively lets things happen in the world, doesn't it? God, God created this storm in heaven and then flung it onto the sea. You want to run from me? You think you'll get out of my presence because you've left Israel? I'll show you I'm the God of heaven and earth, not of Israel only. A God appointed a fish. God made the lot fall on Jonah. That wasn't an accident. Proverbs 16 verse 33 tells us God controls even the casting of a die. No mistake there. Matthias wasn't chosen mistakenly. Jonah wasn't chosen mistakenly. These are the acts of a mighty God who you cannot leave His presence. Jonah knew it. Jonah knew it. Why do you think he's laying in the bottom of the ship asleep? Is that what you do when you're on a boat and waves get big? You go to sleep? I usually puke. And these Phoenician sailors were so afraid that whether they were puking or not, they were throwing everything but themselves off the boat. We're going to drown before we get back to the land. And what's Jonah doing? He's asleep. Sounds like the Lord, doesn't it? When he was on the Sea of Galilee and the disciples are going crazy up there, you know. Thou sleepest and we drowned. What's wrong with you, Jesus? And Jesus just stood up and said, hey, that's enough. The whole place calmed down. Jonah woke up. He wasn't shocked that there was a storm. He wasn't shocked that God was the God of heaven and earth. He wasn't Caught off guard by the fact that God disciplines His children. He knew all these things. That's how stubborn our hearts are, isn't it? You're going to see before you can lower the holy barrel on Jonah in this nine weeks. The sight is set on us. We do it every day. We know these things about God and yet we do what we want to do also. We disobey and we run just like Jonah did. And so, we see those miracles. But that's not all. Then he stays alive for three days. Scientists will tell you that's impossible. He stayed alive for three days. He wasn't dead, unlike what some people believe, that he died there. Which is not what Jesus said, by the way. He said, like he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, I will be in the belly of the earth. He didn't say he was dead like me. He said, I'll be in the ground like he was in the fish. You think this is a parable? 
Why would Jesus say that? If it didn't happen, would the Lord say something so dramatic about His own life, so crucial and central to our faith, that He would compare His burial and and His future resurrection to a prophet that didn't exist and a fish that never happened? I don't think so. And then it says God appointed the fish to puke him up on the, on the seashore. And there he sat, acid bleached, white, hair white, smells like fish vomit. You ever gutted a fish, you know what I'm talking about. Bad stuff. Sitting there in all that gook, God comes back and says, Now, Jonah, there's these people in Nineveh. Take my word to them. That's not the end of the miracles. They go on. And you'd read them along with me. He appoints a tree to come up. He appoints an east wind. He appoints a worm. All these miracles in the life of one man and the greatest miracle of all is that Jonah's heart changes. He goes from being absolutely against God's Word to begrudgingly for God and His Word. And then the story ends. Yet another reason to criticize it because it just kind of ends. Didn't you want more there? Didn't you just think, it kind of jumps in the middle of the story and then it just ends. They don't know the right hand from the left and also much cattle. We don't hear about Nineveh again until Nahum, another prophet. Nineveh fell. 150 years after Jonah was alive, Nineveh was conquered and destroyed. The author of this book is never told in the book, though we believe it to be Jonah. It's personal commentary. Nobody would have known what he said in his prayer in the belly of the fish except him and God. And the fish, maybe. I don't know. Two, it's very common, not only that he had all this personal stuff, but it's very common for the prophets to write in third person. Samuel did that. Others also wrote in third person. So that's not uncommon that he called himself Jonah and didn't say I and he and all those things. When was it written? About 760 B.C. in the reign of Jeroboam II of Israel. Jonah's a contemporary of Amos, another of the great prophets. A southern man that came up north. And I told you, the nation is prosperous, yet all the while their idolatry and their wickedness are increasing. What is the purpose of this book? Unlike the Veggie Tales, I don't believe the main purpose of this book uh, book is to talk about a fish not at all two things God is sovereign over all of creation secondly God loves the nations and has always intended to save the elect from all the world 
Jonah's the first and clearest of the prophets. He's the only one, matter of fact, who prophesied not to the people of Israel, but to a foreign land. Spent his career that way. He came some. I, he came from Gath Hefer, north of uh, where Jesus was raised in Nazareth. And the Pharisees probably showed their hatred of Jonah and his message by claiming no prophet had ever come out of Galilee. That wasn't true, was it? Jonah had come out of Galilee. They didn't want to recognize him because they hated the message. The second part. They didn't mind the first part. God's sovereign. Great. He loves the whole world and is going to save elect from all the tribes of the earth. No. That's not what we want. So they... Delete Jonah from the mainframe. They forget about him. They don't like his message. You and I do that, don't we? A lot like the Pharisees in that way. I'll just throw this in there because I thought it was an interesting fact. Uh, it, It can't be confirmed. But Jewish tradition tells us that this is the widow of Zarephath's son that Elijah raised from the dead. Now, we can't confirm that, but that'd make a lot of sense, wouldn't it? Elijah came just before Jonah's ministry. And couldn't you just imagine that mama telling her young boy all about Elijah, the great prophet of God, and how he raised, son, he raised you. You were dead. He raised you up. You got purpose in life. And all little Jonah's life, I can imagine him running around the village thinking, I got purpose. I got purpose. I got a great purpose. I'm going to preach a great message. And one day God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Lord, you must be mistaken. Not to the Ninevites. I'm supposed to speak to Israel. Supposed to go to King Jeroboam II. Not to the Ninevites, Lord. Don't you know how wicked they are? How perverse they are. They'll taint me. I'm a holy man. So why preach a book like Jonah where there's all this debate about whether it's even true or not? I hope I put some of that to rest. I may have raised a lot more questions than I answered and that's okay. Investigate that. As an aside, if it's a parable and God chose not to tell us and He did it in some way that He's never done before in the Scripture... This is a parable and I get to heaven and he tells me that. There'll be no charge against me. Because I've taken God at his word. And not at the, at the length of my faith. I think it takes much more faith to believe in a real Jonah. Who got swallowed by a real fish. Than it does to think about a parable. But if it's a parable then I'm wrong. I just don't think so. Why preach this book? Why talk about it so much? Why spend nine weeks of our lives looking at it? Because it has a purpose for Calhoun County in the year 2007. I believe that these same two messages need to be proclaimed that were proclaimed through Jonah. God is sovereign over all of creation. Like it or not, Coincidences don't exist. Chance does not exist. I happen to believe in a God who even when somebody throws die down to get a decision, 
He controls the decision. You flip a quarter, he controls that. I believe it all. Nothing happens by chance. Secondly, this same God loves the world. And he's redeeming people from every culture. And every tribe. So I start this message and this series about the presence of God. I want to ask you a question. You're going to have to play a little mind game with me. Let's say while I'm preaching these messages, you hear plainly through these messages that God has called you to Tehran. Your enemy. A religion that hates you. And to a great city of millions that have never heard. Will you go to Tarshish, the other side of the earth, was what Jonah was doing? Because it's safe, because it's comfortable, because it fits your grid that you've always believed about yourself and about your God. Because over these nine weeks, what you're going to hopefully see in your heart is that we think he's a white God like they thought he was a yellow God for the Jewish people. We believe he's a white European God. He wears pants like us. He talks like us. He thinks like we do. And so I hope in nine weeks that's challenged, but I hope more than that you don't are only challenged about his sovereignty and his uniqueness over all the earth, but also that you're challenged to think, Lord, where are you sending me? Maybe it's 10th Street Mountain, Glen Addy, Cooper Holmes, Constantine. I don't know. Jacksonville. I don't know where he's sending you. Like Jamie, nine counties. 90 schools. Three universities. Maybe that's where he's sending you. I don't know. He's sending you somewhere, though. He's sending you with one message no matter where you go, and that is, I'm a sovereign God who loves people. And I'm going to save my elect, no matter the cost. Three quick general overflies of this book. The love of Jesus, the love for Jesus, causes us to love all people. It is a contradiction of the highest order to say, I love Jesus, but I don't love other people. It's impossible to say that and not be in sin. It's a phenomenon utterly contrary to the very spirit of Jesus Christ which lives in you. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you in Luke 6, 27-28. He said to the Samaritans, who stopped. He said, that he, he said that the Samaritan who stopped to help a broken down, battered and beaten Jew on the side of the road, he was the good Samaritan. He comforted the poor in spirit in Matthew 5, 3 and said, you will inherit the earth. 
He justified a man who cried out, God, be merciful to a sinner in Luke 18, 13. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he trusted to him who judges justly. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 2, 23. How many Bible Belt churchgoers will split hell wide open on Judgment Day because they say, I know you, Jesus. And He says, depart from me. I never knew you. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in Your name. We went to church in Your name. We sang songs in Your name. We told other people about You in Your name. I never knew you. But Lord, why didn't we know you? How did we not know you? I've read the Bible. I've prayed prayers. How did I not know you? And could it be that he would say, that one that wasn't like you, you despised him. When you despised him, you despised me. Could he say that? Oh, yes. And he will. Matthew 25, what you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. You want to know about your Christianity? I say, look in your heart. Do you love those like you only, or do you love those not like you? The command in Scripture is to love those not like you. If you look around your world and it's all white and it's all middle class and it's all educated and it's all socialized, it's a serious problem to have that world and say, I love Jesus. Can you have those things? Yes. Sure, God can bless you with that middle class life in that suburban neighborhood and those white friends. And they need the gospel also. Don't ever walk past them. Don't ever suppose they're Christians already. But the simple question is this. Do you love people not like you? Jesus said the Gentiles love the people like them. The tax collectors love their friends. What have you done any better than them when you love somebody like you? Nothing. But how will they know that I'm in you and you're in me? That you love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. How many are going to hear, I never knew you, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. If you love Jesus, race, nationality, wealth, social status cannot determine how you treat people. If you love Jesus, you will have a universal goodwill toward people everywhere around the world. That's what Jesus meant when He said, blessed are those, blessed, those who curse you. You take the heart of Islam who calls for the fall of Israel and the fall of America and the fall of the Western world and you say, Lord, bless them. Save them. And send me. That's what you pray. Send me. Jesus never called us to live safe lives. In the comfort of our society, He called us to preach a great gospel to all men. No matter what their race and no matter what their nationality. You can't love Jesus and not love people. 
Jonah had a call from God. That's clear. We see that he got this call and it's there in first, the first verse. We'll look at it next week. Exactly what it was all about. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. I mentioned in uh, the introduction that Nimrod had built this city. In Genesis chapter 10, we find Nineveh, the seat of the Assyrian power. He built it as a, as a triangle. It's a weird-shaped city, isn't it? And it was three days' journey across by the time he got to Jonah. Forty miles, fifty miles long, full of people. And he was called to go there, and they all hated him. They hated a sane Jew, much less one that looked like he had been dyed white. He was going to stick out when he got there anyway, much less look like he'd been dipped in acid. He wasn't going to be popular when he stood up and said, in 40 days, God's going to crumble this great city for your sin. But then God marked the man. Some have even postulated he marked him so he couldn't run away again. Everywhere he went, they'd have said, what's wrong with you, dude? What happened to you? He would be reminded of it the rest of his life. The word came to him a second time after he had been swallowed by the fish and spewed up onto the land. It came to him a second time. The same message. Go tell Nineveh the great city and proclaim the message I tell you in 3-2. So Jonah goes and he walks through the city crying out, Forty days and you shall be overthrown. The whole time in his heart he thought that it's not going to happen. I know what my God's going to do. They're going to repent. He's going to relent. I know it. Can you imagine the second or third day he's walking and going through this city, Jamie? He's walking down through there and he starts seeing that it's spread before him and people are already putting on sackcloth and ashes. You imagine how hard it is to keep preaching when you don't want to be preaching in the first place and now there's immediate results. The exact thing you didn't want to happen is happening. And you see it. He saw it in front of his eyes. And he knew what God was going to do. God's steadfast love would never fail. His mercy would pour out onto them and God through grace would save the thousands who lived there. He promised God judgment and for their wickedness and the people believed God. That's the commentary in verse 5 of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, he tur- they turned from their evil way. God repented of the evil that would befall them. And we look down and we see in chapter 4, verse 1, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. He was angry at their repentance. So we see in this book, we're going to see this interchange between Jonah, the unmerciful, angry, belligerent prophet, and God, steadfast, immovable, loving, abounding in mercy and grace. We'll see the contrast in this book. Over the next nine weeks, we'll see a lot of us in Jonah. And hopefully we'll see some of God in us. And the change that's begun to happen in our attitudes, our hearts. Despising the free mercy of God. Jonah was a racist. Well, let's soften that. 
He was a hyper-nationalist. It comes down to it, it's the same thing. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he didn't want that race of people to exist anymore. He wanted them to be punished. He wanted their doom. This is contrary to the Spirit of Jesus. He did not have goodwill toward His enemy. He was not about to bless those who cursed Him. He was a hardliner. Matter of fact, God was too soft in Jonah's approach. They didn't deserve another chance. They've ridiculed and persecuted us since they've been on the face of the earth, God. Destroy them. I've had those thoughts in my own heart, my own mind. About the current conflicts that we're in in the world, I think. Sometimes I catch myself. God, just wipe them off the face of the earth. Be done with them. It's not Christ-like. It's not more concerned for them than for me. That's the easy thing. That's what I want. Does the story of Jonah sound like a New Testament story to any of you? Because when I was studying, I couldn't miss the parallel between Jonah and the elder brother in the parable of the two sons and the father. The younger son took all he had and wasted it in rich and fat living. He had women and booze and everything in between. Everything money could buy, the young guy had it. And then he was broke, living in a pigsty. And he said, my, my father has servants that live better than this. I'll go back and be a servant. You remember the story Jesus told? And he goes back. And what does the father do? Does he sit there on the porch and say, well, it's about time he started heading home. I guess he learned his lesson. If he's a good boy for about six months, I'll let him back in the house. Till then, he can sleep with those servants he talks about. Mm -mm. That father was like our father in heaven, right? The Bible says, Jesus said, he looked out in the distance and he saw his son coming. And the old man ran to his son. Nothing more humiliating in the Eastern culture than to show that kind of excitement as an old man. They are very reserved people. I would believe, I, I believe that probably those who heard Jesus say, would say, I've never seen an old man that excited about anything. The contrast was there. The father ran and wept on the neck of his son and put the robe on his back and the ring on his hand and put the shoes on his feet and brought him in the home and killed the fatted calf and threw a party. And where was the older brother? Leaning against a fence post. Saying, I knew Dad would do that all these years. I've been a good person. I've done everything he's asked me to do and some. And I knew my dad 
would give my possessions away to that wicked son of his. Servants came out. Your brother's home. He's not my brother. He died to me when he left this place. And Jonah said, I'm so angry, I'd rather die than see the salvation of a great city. And we here in Calhoun County say, what? I'd rather die. I'd rather die than see neighborhoods turned upside down for Christ. I'd rather die than see Glenn Addy come to Christ. I'd rather die than see Constantine come to Christ. I'd rather die. I'd rather die. That's what the older brother said. That's what Jonah said. Be honest. That's what you say. That's what I say. It's what I say. It's what you say. It's become commonplace for us. And all God says is do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with God. Mercy knows no racial boundary, no national boundary, no social boundary. Nothing disqualifies a person from God's love or our love for that matter. These are hard lessons that we'll learn through the life of Jonah. And we should hear our Father in heaven saying, You owe your whole life and existence to me. How dare you not love your neighbor? How dare you not love your enemy and bless those who curse you? One other parallel to the New Testament that struck me, and this introduction to Jonah sets us up for the next eight weeks. Matthew 5. Turn there. I don't often have you turn to secondary passages. But this is so penetrating. It penetrated my hard heart. Matthew 5. Verses 43 through 48. Famous Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said. You shall love your neighbor... And hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do this? And if you greet only your brothers... What more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The parallel to Jonah is striking. First of all, Jonah had bought the lie that's in verse 43. That is a bold-faced lie. You've heard that it was said, love your enemies and hate your in, uh, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. God never, ever said that. 
ever. In Leviticus chapter 19, God said, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the first thing they did, they deleted the as yourself. It's easy to say, I love people not like me, just not as much as me. Jesus doesn't bite. He says, love them like you love yourself. If you got up and fed yourself, put on clothes and combed your hair, and you live in a nice place, love others like that is what Jesus is saying. You wouldn't put yourself in harm, don't put them in harm. If you had the cure to a disease, and you would share it with your Friends and neighbors, share it with everybody. Love your neighbors as yourself. They had left off the as yourself. And this business of hating your enemies, they extrapolated that out of God's command to wipe nations off the face of the earth. And they boiled it down to a local and one-on-one level. God kills His enemies, I can kill my enemies. That was never God's command. No, on the individual level, they were to love their neighbors as themselves, their selves, and they were to love their enemies as their neighbors. We see that in Leviticus 20, verse 33. They didn't read the next chapter in their Torah. If they had, they would know that God said, your enemy is your neighbor. Gives a whole new meaning to Leviticus 19 when it says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in 2033, it says, Your enemy is your neighbor. So, who is my neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Who is it? Whoever I meet. Everybody is my neighbor. Everybody, like me, not like me, hates me, loves me. Everybody is my neighbor. Jonah was a Pharisee. Jonah hated his enemies. Jonah didn't even do a good job of loving his neighbors. In the economy of God, every person on earth is our neighbor. And the call on our lives is like the call on Jonah's life. Take the message of judgment and gospel to the whole world. And what will be the result? Repentance. When you go armed with this gospel, you cannot fail because God has gone before you. Amado took me by after... uh, we spent some time together. He took me by a subway <clears throat> to get a sandwich for lunch. We're standing in line. This little girl frustrated as the day is long. People have been probably hollering at her all day. And she's just about to cry. And I smiled at her and there was no smile. I've been there, hadn't you? I've been studying this verse. It's easy to study stuff. She was my neighbor. So I looked at her and said, I want you to know something. I don't know what's going on with you, but there's a great God who loves us. 
sent his son for us. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? I thought she was going to pass out. You know how many Christians walk through her life? All day, every day. And say, too much mustard. You dropped my lettuce. I didn't ask for bell peppers. Fix my sandwich again. And not once say, God loves you. Send his son for you. Do you know his son? Why? Because we don't love our neighbor. If my little girl was burning in a fire, I'd snatch her out. I don't care if it killed me, I'd snatch her out. And there's a world, John 3 says, under condemnation. Now they're under condemnation. And we're armed with the gospel of heaven that will snatch them out. So what will we do? Love our neighbor as ourself and our enemy as our neighbor or just love our neighbor and hate our enemy? Will you be Jonah or Jesus to the people you meet this week? That's the question I've got to answer this week. It's the question you've got to answer this week before holy God. Do you love him? If you don't love them, you don't love him. Not the right way. Let's pray.